Hey everybody, this is Alec, and you're listening to Lunchbox Radio. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast lately. If you haven't listened to the last Sunday edition on the um on the real difference um between a which I didn't intend to be like this, but it became about the real difference between a Netflix produced anime and a quote unquote Netflix original anime in lots of cases. Um you might want to go and listen to that either after or before you listen to this because of the subject of this podcast, which you'll know by the time you're listening to this because it'll be the title of the show. But on that note, why don't we jump right into it and talk about what we're covering today, and that is Godzilla Singular Point.
Now, for anybody who either just started listening to the podcast or maybe hasn't listened to all the episodes all the time, I have talked about Godzilla before. I talked about the most recent really good Godzilla thing that came out, and that was probably, in my estimation, and most people's estimation, actually, um, Shin Godzilla, which was directed, interestingly enough, by Hideki Anno, and came out, I forget when, I forget when Shin Godzilla came out, but, um, I talked about it back when I actually got to rent it on, um, I think, I think I rented it on Amazon Prime, but, a bunch of things need to happen in a very particular way for, for, this show to be as good as it was in the way that it was. So I want to talk about, I want to break down kind of what made this, gave this show the opportunity to be so good and so consistently good all the way through. Cause I, I'm spoiler. I like Godzilla's singular point. I like it a lot. I like it a lot in the same way that I liked, um, Shin Godzilla. And the way, same way that I like original Godzilla. And there are people, if, if you like, want to know more about Godzilla, um, there are certainly podcasts out there. I don't know all of them. One of the ones you can check out and you should be listening to anyway is this podcast called, um, The Great, The Greatest Movie Ever podcast. It's, um, hosted by, um, Paul Chapman, sometimes known as the Almighty Goo, as the Almighty Gooberzilla, and he is a tremendous nerd like me, but he loves movies and he focuses on a lot of like weird, strange movies that he proudly proclaims is what might possibly be the best movie ever, the best movie ever of all times. And then he does a podcast usually with guests about it. But he, whenever he comes, whenever he covers a Godzilla movie, it, it, you can feel his love for Godzilla as like a property because uh, Godzilla is this thing that makes giant monster movies popular, uh, a combination of Godzilla and King Kong. And you saw both of those things meet in the middle with, with, God, with Godzilla versus King Kong in um which came out a while back on uh HBO Max. But a bunch of things need to happen for not only this to be a good show, but to be a good Netflix streaming anime. And part of the reason why it's so good is because it's not just a Netflix streaming anime. So if you've never if you've never skirted the boundaries of if you're in America and you're a listener, you've never skirted the boundaries of the America of America using, say, a VPN. You don't really know what Netflix. You almost certainly don't know what Netflix looks like in other countries, and what Netflix looks like in Japan. And it, this is really important for talking about this show, and it's really important for talking about lots of Netflix anime, lots of anime that Netflix paid to have produced but didn't, like, lock up 
as this is increasingly the case, actually, they didn't lock up exclusive rights to it. Because if you go on my anime list, which I'm going to read from right now, so I apologize for whatever nonsense happens, you'll see that Godzilla Singular Point didn't just start airing in June. It actually finished airing in June. It started airing in April of this year. And what that means is Netflix contributed to the production budget, probably a lot, um, of this show. But the studio, Bones, the animator, retained the right, retained the broadcast rights to broadcast it on Japanese television. And if you look at a bunch of anime on Netflix, you'll see that this is really common. And the, because I was interested in it, because I was interested in the new adaptation of Shaman King, which is doing a hybrid model too, what ends up happening is Netflix says, we'll give you the money. The studio like Bones or whoever's handling the adaptation of said show said, okay, we want, we want to retain rights to broadcast this and it will come to Netflix like the next day or something like that. And one of the reasons why the studios have such pull in that case is because Netflix, unlike unlike America when Netflix was the first to the game with with movies, they were not first to the game everywhere else in the world. There were other streaming services that in many cases are still around um, in other parts of the world that showed up before Netflix got there. So Netflix has to be more um, flexible not to be caught flat-footed and not to be like, oh, we're, we just screwed ourselves over here because we are not willing to deal to deal with the way that these companies want to operate so they just won't give us the deal. Um, the, a big part of the fact of the matter is that Netflix was not the first big streaming player in Japan. Hulu was. If you looked at, um, early Hulu, it had, in Japan, it had a ton more movies. It was structured differently. It was a whole different thing than what we think of here. It was more like what we think of Netflix as, but it was Hulu instead. And so the other thing that people don't think about when they think about Netflix um, properties is there's a lot of responsibility in taking part in a genre, in a um, medium of entertainment that you don't heap on business deal or medium of art, really. You don't heap on business dealings that will cause that medium to collapse in on itself basically because they're because everybody's trying to get this money but the work doesn't get out there so it doesn't get seen so there's no return and that's how you have basically the collapse of a like form of entertainment art because if say the only way to watch Godzilla singular point in Japan or anywhere else in the world aside from America, was streaming on Netflix, that would create a major barrier for exposure to the work.
And so oftentimes for product sales, for, for, for merchandise sales, for, you know, commercial, for commercial revenue, anime studios will hold on to broadcast rights and sell the broadcast rights to whoever willing to pay for them. And what that also means is that they make the show in a different way, in a really aware, different way than they would have. So I think I've mentioned this before. I mean, I definitely mentioned this in the Pacific Rim, the Black um, episode. Netflix shows, with very rare exceptions, get two seasons out of the gate. And the reason why they do that is because they want one season for it is because think of it as a sign as a sign up cycle. They want one season to get somebody sign up. They want they, so they want one season of Godzilla anime to get that cross section of people to sign up for Netflix if they haven't yet. And they want a second season so that will come out like next year sometime to keep that person signed up for a full year. And then by the time they've been signed up for a full year, they're just in Netflix and they usually just keep it because there's been a year of waiting for Godzilla singular point to come back on and they've watched other stuff. They're invested in other stuff, the whole nine. It's a really smart way of thinking. But if you look at something like um, Pacific Rim, the black, that show is made with an awareness that, like, oh, we can get a second season. We can continue the story later. And it just doesn't, like, the show doesn't do anything of consequence. What Godzilla Singular Point did all the way through is it knows it's dealing with the big mythos of what Godzilla is. And it knows that it's dealing with all these different weird enemies that Godzilla has fought, like Mecha Godzilla, like. Moth, like um, Mothra, like Rodan, like um, like all these different Godzilla monsters. And it uses a fair amount of them. It uses a fair amount of like giant fucking kaiju monsters in the run up to Godzilla, which we'll get to. Um, but curiously enough, in the opening, you see. Actually, it's not it, uh, in not in the opening. It's in in the ending sequence, which if you're watching with which when you watch this on Netflix, I encourage you at least once just to hit the watch credit button so you can see this like wonderful oh, you see this wonderful ending sequence that they came up with. But you see like Mechagodzilla. You see the starts of all the famous like pantheon rogue gallery of Godzilla kaiju. And very little of them, in the way that you're aware of them, show up in Singular Point. Uh, they have what they refer to as Rodan, but Rodan is like a, like a multiple thing, and their pterodactyls are strange, I promise. And it's, it's fabulous and strange, actually. But what that allows them to do, what having two seasons, two seasons minimum allows them to do is it allows them to plan out the show and pace the show in a way where they can be like, okay, we're through this arc. Now we, we'll, they can plan through one whole arc of a Godzilla 
of a villa thriller. And then they can have the seeds of the next arc planted at the end. And it allows for much more intelligent management of the pacing of the show in a way that they clearly designed for television. Like, they clearly designed this as like, oh, we got a second season. We got approved for a second season already. Here's, here's the beginning of it. And it's all paced out as if it was going to be on TV, which makes it really compelling also to watch as a bingeable thing. And then it was just on Netflix. And what, and was on Netflix probably like the next week or the next day or whatever. Uh, in America, where Netflix believes that the per episode, weekly episode drop for anime just won't work, even though they are just wrong. When they drop this whole thing, it's this tailor, it's this really well-made, high-budget, designed for, like, TV-like watching thing, but can also be binged thing, that is kind of perfect. And now, that, that brings me to my second reason why this show works so well. And that is, there are, there's a formula to Godzilla. First off, and, and the two the two Godzilla things recently that get this that nail this to the wall are our singular point and our Shin Godzilla. Godzilla, the Godzilla concept is never about Godzilla. It's about us. It's about humanity. It's about like it's about the world in some way. For, for perfect, oh, and also, spoiler alert for Godzilla Singular Point from here on out, I'm just gonna fucking go for it. Um, but, in Shin Godzilla, also for Shin Godzilla, apparently, um, in Shin Godzilla, Shin Godzilla is about the destruction of the old to preserve, the, the destruction of the past when it means that that's the only way you can get to the future. It is also, like, a huge fucking send-up of the Japanese governmental system. It's psychotic. And it's amazing. Godzilla's singular point is about what humanity is oftentimes willing to put up with for you know, preservation of a lifestyle for, you know, discovery of new resources to mine and drain the earth of. And so, a plot point in um, Godzilla's thing, your point, is this thing called an archetype. And you're meant to believe that this little glassine plastic cube with, like, a thing in it. And the archetypes are, like, the end all, the the er substance. Um, a great way to um. A great way to actually explain it is by using a different, not as good anime, and that is um Dimension W. If you've ever seen Dimension W, they have these special batteries that are 
basically a limitless supply of electricity because they're pulling from a totally different dimension and that dimension is dimension W. And that's why they call the show Dimension W. But the thing in um, Dimension W is one company controls the manufacturing of these things they call coils, which are basically forever batteries. And so these coils are extremely expensive. And so people use um, what they call bootleg coils in that show. And what that oftentimes causes is a unstable connection to Dimension W, which then rebounds and causes people to turn into, like, basically fucked up modern art. <laughs> Just snap, snap the finger and all of a sudden you've got five heads and one of them is on your foot. And also, you can't move anymore because your foot is on the other side of the room. <laughs> and... But you're all still connected in some sort of fucking eldritch horror scenario. Um, so there's a reason they cost so much. And apparently the, the corporation that makes the official coil had these problems early on and they ironed them out. Only they don't tell anybody that they fucked up a whole bunch before they got there. Um, archetypes are kind of the coils, quote-unquote, of this story, of of this, um, of this universe. It, we're about 10 years in the future in this version of, um, in this, in singular point. We're in 2030. And a scientist, a Chinese scientist, I believe, has discovered a, a Chinese, the first person you meet who they say discovered these things is Chi- is a Chinese scientist named Dr. Li, and she gives this symposium on archetypes and shows everybody what they can do. And there's this moment when um when May when May Kamino, one of the main one of the primary main characters of this show, it's just like that's that's not doing what you said it's doing because there was an explosion at the end and the explosion is bad by the way it's not it's not just a cute thing that happens it's the thing that will always happen and ultimately means mass scale murder and what you see in this show is you see a bunch of ancillary characters setting up industry around basically creating these archetypes that they don't totally understand. And then all of a sudden you start having the, the first, the first thing that shows up is the Rodan and the Rodan is a pterodactyl and it just showed the fuck up in the middle of Japan and everybody freaks the fuck out. It's a major news story. One of the best moments in this, in this show, one of the best things about this show is it really Crystal, it, it crystallizes not just how Japanese news media covers everything that they don't expect to happen happening, but how everybody does, how, how all news does, how there's like, as soon, if a pterodactyl showed up above, in the skies above fucking New York City, there would be 
panels of analysts for months just going ham on this weird thing. And that's what they show in Japanese television, although Japanese television has own very particular flavor of doing this shit. And so what the show is ultimately about is it's about the price humanity seems to be willing to pay for endless resources and what the consequences are, at least in its first season. And you end up finding out through um, the plot that um, a... A scientist named, um, uh, a, a scientist named, I forget his name, but there's a scientist who 50 years ago discovered these fucking giant, giant dinosaur bones. And the first archetypes were created from this red sand that came off of these dinosaur bones. And I got really, what I got really excited about is, I got really excited about the concept that, um, this show is admitting that, like, big fucking scary monsters showed up before, and then died. Like, this, this is the world in which it was known the giant building-sized dinosaurs could show up and fuck our shit up at any point, and they just happened to not. And it... The show... At first suggests, like, oh, are we in the universe... And this is what what I thought at first, and I congratulate the show for giving me the building blocks to think this, even though this was not the case. They're like, oh, are we in the universe where, like, Godzilla showed up once. They beat him once and he just fucking vanished. And we're like dealing with a whole, with like nine generations past Godzilla because the other thing this, um, this show, this show opens up with basically is this big, beautiful, mystical painting that's called the arrival of Gojira. And it's this big scary fish and these like weird pterodactyl tengu who are his heralds and it's this blood red sea. And that brings me, this is why I want to talk about the second thing that makes a good Godzilla thing good. Or actually the, the first thing. And that is, or the second thing actually, that you don't see Godzilla until it's Godzilla's time to motherfucking shine. Uh, And part of that comes from where Godzilla comes from and where kaiju films came from before the advent of computer graphics. And that is, these used to be dudes in rubber fucking suits getting it done. And what that means is that you don't want them on screen for a huge amount of time because that would, the more time you see fucking rubber bullshit flopping around, the less you feel the, 
illusion of what you're supposed to be seeing as real in a film. Now, what computer graphics have allowed us to do is they've allowed us to, like, create something that's believable, maybe loses effect when it's on screen for, like, two hours of the movie. The Matthew Broderick um, Godzilla 2000, I think it's called, is a great example of this. That Godzilla is on the screen. It's, like, screen time is astronomical. And you do not, like... It's goofy as fuck. It is, that movie is some goofy shit. Uh, but the god, the like, the actual version of Godzilla doesn't feel as viscerally terrifying as sh- either Shin Godzilla does or this version of Godzilla does. And I think that's the best way I can put it. Let's say you first see a grizzly bear in the forest. You will be scared. You will be terrified of that bear. But if you, like, took that bear as a pet and it hung around for a long time and, like, you fed it salmon, that bear is significantly less scary. The amount of time you spend with that bear brings down the amount of fear the bear causes you. And that's true of Godzilla. When Godzilla is on screen for a ton of time, it's a character. It's not a force of nature. In Shin Godzilla, in the original Godzilla, in in the original 84 Godzilla, in this version, in SP, it is this force of nature that is not to be fucked with and will only destroy you. All of the different kaiju. Um, Manda is a terrifying thing you barely see. Um, the, uh, the, the, um, what's it called? The, damn it. Um, the, the, t- the pterodactyl monster, the, like, legions and swarms of pterodactyls of, like, also this, like, fucked-up nightmare. And so so the third thing I want to talk about here is the last thing that makes a Godzilla film, and I'm not the person who, who, like, perfected this. I heard this from, and it made it, but it totally makes sense and it totally tracks. I heard this from, um, I think it was Gerald, um, Daryl Surratt on, uh, over on the Anime World Order podcast is every Godzilla film, the, every Godzilla property period, the, with the exception of that weird Godzilla Hanna-Barbera cartoon from like the late eighties or something, um, in which Godzilla would just friend with a kid who had a boat. Seriously, you can go fucking look it up. It's wild. Um, the main cast of human characters are just motherfucking weirdos from back to goddamn front. They're just weird assholes. And, like, they, they already didn't fit into society. And what that means, functionally, is they have the framework 
to figure out, oh, fuck, there's a laser beam breathing lizard here now. How do we deal with this? And the other thing about this show is that the, like, median IQ of most of the characters in this show are, it's, like, astronomical. And they have this, they have these great moments where you see that not necessarily all smart people work in, like, these big, fancy jobs. Some do, but lots of people who are smart, but they don't have the trappings of being smart and socially groomed in the right way, just end up in weird-ass jobs that don't necessarily not take make use of their skills but aren't exactly what you think that, like, that person's brain would be best aimed towards. So, um, it, the main, the, like, the ostensive main character, two main characters of this show are a character named Yuna Arikawa, who works at this company called Otaki Factory, which is a, um, robotics and mechanics, Robotics repair shop, basically, and with certainly greater aspirations, and this character named May Kamino. And May Kamino is a is basically a traveling, self sufficient research assistant for a um for us for a scientist who you never meet actually. And Yuna Arikawa is, you're led to believe, a, like, very accomplished um, programmer, and I would almost call him technologist and computer scientist, who ended up at Otaki Factory because that was kind of, because he was probably inspired by the old guy who runs it, whose name is, this, this character list is not complete, and it drives me nuts! Um, more characters, but the, uh, the character, what's his name? Um, Otaki, Otaki Goro. And Goro is this, like, crazy old man who seems like he used to be a, a, like, uh, boat fisherman who did a fishing boat that I feel so bad for in this show. Um, but he, like, has this weird premonition, like, we're going to need us a giant robot at some point. So they build this giant robot called, um, uh, I think it's Jet, it's Jet Jaguar. And at some point, just out of boredom, um, Yoon builds this, um, Artificial intelligence that you can download and install on, a, on a, any device from your phone to your computer or anything in between. Probably a fucking toaster if you wanted to. And it's basically a personal assistant that will take whatever capabilities, whatever you have on it in, um, and use them to assist you. So, um, May Kamino eventually downloads it and makes, um, the, and, and ends up making the character, um, Pepliops, 
two, and that's this like little dog AI who is her like uh, sidekick for most of the show. And um, so the other thing that so the thing that this show does that Shin Godzilla didn't do, and that most Godzilla shows, most Godzilla films and properties don't do, is it's about why the fuck is this happening? It's not so much about we got to deal with Godzilla, although Godzilla, Godzilla eventually does get dealt with. It's about why the fuck is our the pterodactyl who we're calling Rodan showing up at all? Why the fuck is like every other day at some at one point just giant monsters showing up at very key points all over the world? And that brings us back to the archetypes from before. The and what I was saying, this movie is about. In my mind, humanity's quest for an infinitely replenishable and controllable resource. And that, um, um, that, what's it called? Um, that, that, um, problem is, All these monsters are what they refer to as singular points. And you find out later from this, um, from May, who has been put in charge of, um, of finishing, um, this, this, like, 50 year old, 50 year long disappeared scientist who I think is named Arikawa, um, that Arikawa was, had been researching archetypes and he had discovered the first archetype and had been researching them ever since. And May is given these like insane drawings, like insane stuff of a madman, basically. And they make and they make him look like he has long since lost his mind when you first encounter him. And you realize that Arikawa was trying to stop what they call the catastrophe, which is Godzilla. But what they also say is that every single one of the kaiju that show up is an archetype, or is the same as the archetypes created by um, Professor Lee and her team. And they're the mo- and the moment that like proves that oh hey. This is this is about humans' quest for a for a for a infinitely renewable resource. Is there's a moment when the someone's one character says to another character, "The archetype we we cannot hold on to archetypes and prevent this from happening." Because it, and May who eventually follows the breadcrumbs left by Arakawa and the Arakawa like principle, which is attached to the archetypes. Um eventually figures out that in every variation in which 
archetypes are exist exist and are used at like a massive scale the way they would always be used if they were allowed to exist and if we continued to fuck with the like interdimensional nonsense that they were fucking with to get archetypes Godzilla will always show up and Godzilla will always fucking open a hole in the ozone and let the sun in to kill us and or some insane shit. Godzilla would always murder everything, basically. Because Godzilla is not just a byproduct of the archetypes, but is an archetype. He is... Godzilla is the same as the tiny plastic cube she got sent in the mail. And... I'm not really wounding anything there. The The... A to B journey is a very tech, very, very mystical science mumbo jumbo, and very technical. But it's also very interesting, and it's very. It's much like if, say, people discovered crude oil, started turning it into gasoline, but like every six barrel of gasoline was actually a dinosaur was actually a Tyrannosaurus Rex egg and a tra- a full size Tyrannosaurus Rex just burst out the fucking thing. Or like we got a Triceratops. Or we got a in Godzilla in Singular Points case. We got a fucking herd of nightmare giant spiders. Or or like a fucking there was a giant wasp that like they do they barely even showed. They were like, oh, we're in nightmare territory now. And somebody said, like, no, but we still need gasoline to run cars. And somebody was like, we can figure out some other way to run a car that doesn't involve, oops, all dinosaurs. And so what between the the plot of the show and the three factors of this thing is not about Godzilla. It is about of like a hunt for an infinitely renewable resource that causes uh, that causes a villa thriller, so to speak. And it is about and the fact that you have like it not really focusing on Godzilla until Godzilla is the problem and then Godzilla is dealt with. Um, also the cast of like very likable but also very quirky and very outside of of society, especially Japanese Japanese society, like parameters, characters. It ends up being all the, like, things that make a Godzilla property great. In the same way that, once again, if you've never seen Shin Godzilla, unfortunately you can't see the cinematic release. If you've ever seen a trailer for Godzilla and you're like, I want to see that, I want to see that, the big blocky red text is only in the cinematic release. It is not in the home video release, which is what they've got on, um, what's it called, um... Amazon Prime, or what you would what you would be able to buy or download, basically. Um, 
that's ultimately what um God's what Shin Godzilla is about involves like quirky weirdos are the ones who end up fixing the problem of oh fuck Godzilla is here now instead of all the like mindless boardroom drone assholes in Tokyo like that like they're like on the excerpts of Tokyo they're like we think we got this shit figured out we need to just do this we need to murder this giant fucking nuclear lizard all those things in all the right measurements and everything else mixed together and make for like a really fun time. Now it helps and you'll have heard the opening scene to this to the um show with this episode. But it helps that it's got a banging opening, it's got a really good ending scene, it's got like I said, fantastic ending credits. The opening credits are also tremendous and it it's nice to see a really good show it's nice to see you know it's nice to see something where they went swinging for the fences and they knocked it out of the park and that's really what Godzilla's thing of point is, is that it's, it's working with, like, the, it's working with the potential building blocks of a franchise that's been going since before I was born. And it's just like, it, it just took it and it ran with it. And it ran with it from a character design perspective. It ran with it from a stylistic perspective. It ran with it from, like every angle it could. The dub is amazing. The one thing I will say I've heard on the um on AWO, the Anime World Order podcast, that the subtitles are not super accurate or great to what they're saying in Japanese. But that's been a problem with a couple Netflix anime, so that doesn't surprise me. Um, but if you haven't checked it out, you can definitely, you definitely should if you have Netflix. If you were like, I'm gonna shine up for Netflix for this, it, it's not, it's like 13 bucks for the whole show. That's not a bad, that's not a bad thing, plus there's other stuff on there. Um, but it's, I, I think it's worth the time because it is a genuinely excellent Godzilla thing. And, as we saw with the Brian Cranston movie or the other terrible polygon picture fucking crimes against war crimes. That's it's easy to fuck up Godzilla. It's not necessarily easy to do a great Godzilla thing, but they checked all the boxes and they did it in the right quotient. And the other thing is like, the scientific fucking dodeca cube that they're solving all throughout this is never not interesting. They like you keep find they keep uncovering another layer of like fuck did this weird subterranean compound in India have to do with any of this? This is weird. Um the 
there is this moment when you find out that, like, every text message ever sent fucking matters. And you're like, oh, what the fuck? And it, it does do a little bit of a, like, writing itself into its own circle kind of thing, but it doesn't feel unplanned the way it manages it. It feels like they wrote the whole story out and they said, okay, this works. We don't need to make up any horse shit. Let's go. And they came out with a really tight, well-paced Godzilla property that's really that's really fascinating, I think. So um, definitely go give it a watch. It's worth your time. It's it's 13 episodes, which is a good... I mean, I was watching it probably... And granted, this wasn't the only thing I was watching. So, if that, if you're if binging is your style, you could probably knock this out in, like, a day, day and a half. Um, but it's not a huge commitment, especially if you have already have Netflix. So, definitely go check it out. And on that note, if you like this show, new episodes of Lunchbox Radio come out every Thursday and Sunday. Third day is a show like this, where it's just talking about a show or a movie. Um, Sunday is more metatextual, like um, my discussion on the difference between a anime licensed by Netflix, potentially an anime, like actually produced by Netflix, and the anime made, the, and the quote-unquote anime that's just animation done out of a studio in Texas that they slap anime on because they want that sweet, sweet marketing juice. Um... Or, like, the um, Sunday episode I did where I sat down with um, Taylor, a.k.a. Cosplay Fiend, from over on Twitter, who is a fairly prominent um, anime TikTok creator creator, um, who talks about old anime, who's, like, right in my groove of, he's, we're the same age. We're in the like we're like two we're literally two years apart, so we're like we're the same age range of otaku, and that was a lot of fun. So definitely go check those out, those episodes out. Um, if you want an idea of sun of what the Sunday episodes are, they're in the feed before this episode in whatever you can listen to me right now. But on that note, I have been Alex. You've been listening to Rock Radio. I will talk to you on Sunday. Tchau,
стороной. Субтитры сделал 